Welcome to the Hear My Story podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We love having you here. And it's our mission to bring you powerful stories of everyday people. Prepare to be inspired. Here's your host, Josh Oxendine. What is going on, Hear My Story? Uh, this is Josh. And today, uh, uh, once again, we are continuing um, our series on listening. Um, our goal behind this and our mission behind it is to, uh, is to stir up conversation of change, um, to, to listen to people, um, that need to be heard. And, uh, um, it's all about listening, learning, and loving. And today, um, I have, um, a close friend of mine. Uh, we, we've, we've grown apart, it seems like over the years, but I've known him for, uh, man, let's see probably at least 20 years now. Um, but is, uh, Maurice Willis, uh, <laughs> uh, AKA Jimmy gravity, um, uh, as, as he's gone by musically. Um, but, uh, uh, Mo, it's good to have you, um, on, uh, on this call to just sort of dialogue, you know, um, how much I care about you, how much I care about your family and, uh, uh, the respect that comes behind that. And, uh, when, when thinking about this idea and people to have on, uh, you were one of the first people I wanted to reach out to, not only because of, um, you know, I, I, I know where you stand as a man, where you stand biblically, where you stand on, on so many different issues, but I, I feel like that you're a, an advocate for truth and, um, and, and, uh, just honest dialogue. And so dude, thanks for hopping on this, this, this call with me. Would you will uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everybody a little about you, sure. your family, what you do. Man. whatnot. First, thanks. Thanks for having me, Ox, man. I'm, uh, Excited just to be on and, and share some insight and give ideas. Like Josh said, I'm Maurice Willis, also known as Jimmy Cravity, musician, uh, worship leader, songwriter, record producer, hat maker, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I have a wife. Uh, we live in Brookhaven. And uh, yeah, I'm an avid gardener um, and entrepreneur interested in all of those things and uh that's kind of like a brief intro intro to who i am yeah i didn't know you were an avid gardener get it dude. <laughs> i got two and a half acres you can come out here and garden i'm about to, <laughs> about to mow some lawn this afternoon um uh no dude um so let, let, let's jump right into it um as mentioned you know before hopping on the call we really wanted to sort of just pick your brain a little bit on uh, just the current climate of our nation. Um, but sure. before we do that, like, let's just get a little bit of context. Um, tell me or tell us a, a little bit about your experience. Um, just being a, a, a black male again, it's not a, I'm not asking naively. Um, sure. I'm asking from a place of um, really not experiencing or knowing what it's like to think about the pig in my, pigment of my skin when I get dressed in the morning or when I get pulled over by a cop, what's really going to happen besides you know, a ticket or points in my life, you know, it's like, it's, it's, sure. it's completely trivial and different. And so, sure. um, and what is your, do you experience that? Have you experienced racism obviously, or, um, some sense of, you know, police injustice or even profiling, um, sure. yeah. Walk sure. us through that on your daily basis or maybe things that you've experienced growing up. I think on a daily basis, um, I am not acutely aware of the disparity in race. Um, I would say I am aware of it um, as it relates to other people, uh, like like right now, right? I am I'm married, and so I have a wife, and she's concerned for my safety and for my well-being, just based on me being in certain places at certain times, you know? Um, based on the color of my skin. And I have never really felt that because I've never been a spouse to myself, you know, but that's very interesting and, and poignant and probably relevant to a lot of people um, that are married to uh, black people, African-Americans in this country. Um, the thought of, man, I hope he makes it back home uh, when he leaves his house, you know? And I, I don't think that way. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think about these things, but I think uh, as more and more events like what's happened to 
George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, you know, as more events like this happen and have happened, it, it sheds a certain light on how you see uh, law enforcement, you know, um, I think as a believer, it's a real challenge uh, when you see, you know, George Floyd being murdered by cops to not put that same emotion that you have towards that cop, towards all cops, you know, and not feel like, wow, I wonder if they are actually really public servants or if they're using their job just as a way to exercise their own personal uh, values, which means demeaning my own life. But I guess growing up, I, I remember one time when I was in this elementary school, Harmony Leland, I think I was in um, maybe fourth grade, fourth mm -hmm. or fifth grade. And so I was becoming, you know, cognizant of certain things. And I can remember one of the teachers were on, uh, I mean, the English teacher was only helping white students in the classroom. And I was like, I actually called her out. I, I asked her, I said, why are you helping all of the white students first? And it was maybe four or five black students in the class. Why aren't you helping the black students as well? And I got sent to the principal's office oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and we had to talk about it. And she was pretty uh, pissed that I noticed that. And um, she denied it and that type of thing. But after I said that, it was a it was a real change in her actions and in how she taught and helped the whole class, you know. But I think I saw that pretty early on. There's a, there's a couple times um, where I've experienced, uh, you know, profiling. I was in Los Angeles. I work out there from time to time a bunch as a songwriter producer, and I was doing a photo sh coming back from a photo shoot. It was me and my Hispanic brother, Sean Artero, and the cops pulled us over, shining their flashlights in the car, asked us where we're going, said that his car didn't have any tags. There are tags on the front and back of his car. And we're like, why are you guys pulling us over? <laughs> like, what's, what's the issue? Yeah. There was no issue. They just wanted to profile us, you know, and that was that type of thing. I have family that works in law enforcement, so I don't paint law enforcement with a broad stroke. And I know that, you know, there are people that in every profession that don't do their job well. Um, it just so happens that for certain professions, if you don't do your job well, the country riots. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, do, it, do you it, think that, do you think that there was, uh, it, it, it seems as if like maybe that moment in fourth grade where you, I don't know if your mom ever sat you down and be like, all right, this is what's the reality of our, our you know, this is where we're coming from. Uh, I don't know if that conversation was ever had or, um, or if your brother maybe even took you alongside and said, Hey, this is going to potentially happen. But like, I mean, I don't know if there was ever that moment. It sounds like in fourth or fifth grade, there was a, an epiphany where it's just like, okay, um, shit is real. Um, yeah. But then I think, uh, do you think that over the last few years, while you may like on paper, you may have good credit and live in Brookhaven and, you know, uh, uh, you could look down in Maurice Willis, you know, it could almost look like white um, on paper. Um, but, you know, if you're to get to, to get pulled over or you, you can't change the pigment of your skin, like it feels as if like, um, I, I think you recognize maybe white privilege um, at, at that young age, but do you think that in some way that you have um, grown immune to it or maybe prepared yourself and just sort of, you know, does, it, does, it, does that make sense where you're just like, okay, this is the way it is or, and you don't think about those things and maybe you should. Um, yeah. I think, I think certain, certain things come with certain territories. So I think I'm blessed. And I think a lot of people that live in Atlanta are blessed to live in Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is one of the few cities in our country where police officers are prosecuted swiftly if they're 
if they're doing any type of police brutality. You know, Atlanta has a history of black mayors that have paved the way for black enterprise and black economic empowerment. And so I feel like we live in a city where um, the advancement of black people has been a priority in the government for decades. You know, uh, Atlanta created legislation where a certain percentage of their contracts, the city of Atlanta government contracts, had to be within the black community based on the people that live in the city of Atlanta, you know? And so I feel like, I don't feel like I'm immune to it. I feel like I haven't experienced that many, um, like, negative interactions uh, with cops or that type of thing. But that doesn't mean I am um, blind to it or naive about it. My great granddad actually died at the hands of Georgia State Troopers, you know? And so it's like, well, I didn't know him. I know my granddad very well, you know, but it was like my family has experienced those things. Also, you know, my family has been uh, some of the first to do certain things in the city of Atlanta, um, you know? And so I've seen kind of like both sides of the coin, but I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily immune to it because I feel like I see it every day. I feel like what I, my mom never really sat me down and said, Hey, this is, uh, this is how life is. And I'm, and I am, well, she has told me certain things like, hey, you know, there are certain constructs within our society that are this way. That doesn't mean that you have to live by those or be bound by those things, but it's helpful for you to, to know those things. But I think, um, I think the thing that happened to me in the fourth or fifth grade just opened me up to this idea like, wow, it's, there is, um, partiality, you know, and it's so crazy because um, I was listening to a video between Christine Kane and Anita Phillips, and Anita, Dr. Anita Phillips was saying how she would, uh, was reading research where teachers were automatically, um, whether Black kids did anything wrong or not, were automatically looking at them to be troublemakers based on their own psychology of their culture you know yeah. the same thing with cops they were uh basically um if a child was 15 in their mind they were thinking that the child was 20 years old so they were taking teenagers and treating them like adults because psychologically they're thinking on different wavelengths you know have you have you experienced um, any of that um, discriminatory or even feeling like you have to work harder um, within within your profession within even music? I mean, I know there that it, it, it exists. I mean, I know, um, but I'm not. I mean, I've only heard stories, you know. But I, within show business or even in LA, how competitive it is and the music scene um, and you sort of, you know, ran in both lanes, I would say sure. within the Christian side and secular side. Um, <laughs> uh, it, but it, 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 have you experienced any of that where you feel like that you have to work harder to prove yourself or even discriminatory stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, I th yeah. I think the music, I think the Christian music industry is um, very prejudiced uh more more prejudice in my opinion than mainstream uh you think about christian is all white christian music's all white gospel music's pretty much all black most of the funding uh for christian music dwarfs the funding for gospel music there's hardly any um you know interplay between the two and um, just my experience, um, I was signed to a record label, uh, Six Steps Records, and uh, that was through like the Passion Conferences. I uh, 
did not feel through my business and interaction with them that um, I, I was, I didn't feel treated fairly in, mm. in that, you know, I felt like uh, my music and my artistry was treated with partiality, you know, mm. and I think um, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that is um, necessarily all race motivated, but it has a certain, um, it has, a, it's a certain variable there, you know? Um, and I think, yeah, I think that the, for me, I feel like the Christian music industry is, uh, it goes into this idea that people believe that, um, artists shouldn't speak up on certain things, politics and that type of thing, that the gospel isn't for those things, you know? And so, you know, you have Christian music artists that never have to say anything about these types of things. And it's never a problem, you know, because they're on the receiving end of the great thing. So, yeah, I've seen it and I think I've experienced it, yeah. you know, um, not in LA so much. I think LA is a competitive music is competitive overall in general, you know, so uh, it's already competitive, but I, I've seen more of this negative behavior within the Christian music industry, as opposed to like the mainstream, you know, it's crazy is, is that, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things that, for some reason, for some reason, the church has this idea that um, Jesus is this white dude with thin lips and a perm, right? You know, <laughs> and um, it's farthest from that, man. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, Jesus wasn't a Republican, he wasn't a Democrat, he was too conservative for for, for Democrats, he was too liberal for conservatives or for Republicans, and he was in a lane all by himself, and 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 I think that. Oftentimes we make Jesus uh, this figure that sits most comfortable with us, you know, an image of ourselves, we'll say. And um, oftentimes, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people that I know that are have racial. I wouldn't say they're racist, but there's mm -hmm. definitely some uh, hints of racism within them, you know, where sure. uh, I remember sitting in, uh, I was currently reading a book. Um, by John Piper, you and I both admire him. And uh, it was called Bloodlines. I don't know if you read it or not. Super good. I'm and ready. Where, where he, um, this was probably 10 years ago, so you need to get on that grind, dude. Um, <laughs> where, I don't know if you knew this, but Piper was racist. He grew up in South Carolina. Very wow. racist. Grew up in a racist family. And um, I don't even know his story, but he ended up adopting um, a, a black young man. And, yeah. and so just a beautiful story of redemption. He talks about that. And... A black young man or a black young woman? I thought it was. I, I, maybe I, I think I it's be a wrong. woman. It was, I think it's a woman. I've met I be wrong. Uh, Talitha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it's a black black woman. Um, that's in the minor details. Um, yeah. But I was reading it and I was in like Honduras or something doing a mission trip. And uh, some old ladies were like from like a Methodist church somewhere in Georgia. And they looked over at me and what are you reading? I was like, oh, it's a book, a book about uh, bloodlines and racism. And then, oh, she goes, this is, you know, it's bad when she goes, I'm not racist, but <laughs> you know, she goes, oh, she goes, I'm not racist, but you know, my granddaughter is dating a black boy. And I, you know, I'm okay. I just don't want him to get married. I don't think it's okay to sort of, you got to stay in your own race. And I'm like, I'm in that moment. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and yeah. maybe a lot of people hold that view. And I literally looked at them and it said this like mic drop comment. I was just like, this is the best thing I could come up with. And I was like, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't have that mindset in loving you? And she goes, and I just walked away. And I'm like, I just don't get it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that it's uh, th th this idea that, you know, that in, in Christianity, it, it only would make sense if the Christian music is a representation of the people that they're reaching on some levels. I remember uh, on Lecrae's, I can't remember which one of his songs where he talks about, uh, there was one line in it where he, where he said, um, uh, segregation started in the church or something like that. 
as one yeah. of his lines. And I remember thinking about him like, yeah, man, why don't, why are we so divided? Why do, why is, you know, I think it's more than theological. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's completely segregated. And why isn't there this, you know, beautiful mixture um, of people? So, man, I, I echo that, those thoughts and um, it's very interesting sort of coming um yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, let's move on for the sake of time. Um, tell me a little bit about your, just your thoughts um, over the last month, huh? maybe even more sure. particularly over the last two weeks of, the, of, our, of our nation, man, where you got sure. um, all these things coming out about Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, obviously uh, Mr. Lloyd, like all these things that are happening. Um, like walk us through your emotions, your thoughts. Um, even like you're, you're thinking on like the, the protests, the riots, this is your city, man. I mean, doggone, you have a song about your, how much you love Atlanta, dude. Right. And, yeah. and, and you see these things that are going on and, you know, you see it, many of your brothers and sisters crying out, um, but then you see like riots and looting. Just walk us through your array of motions, good and bad, and you know, sure vulnerability. Sure, I think, um, man, I've been uh, perplexed for the past month, and uh, really trying to be a part of the solution, and uh, figuring out what that looks like as uh, as an entrepreneur, as a black man, as a creative, all of these types of things. So. Racism in America is so systemic that I feel like when people are protesting racism, they feel like people are protesting America. You know, it is so entrenched. Say that again, because that's really good. Yeah, this is a quote that I saw on Instagram okay. that says... <laughs> it's not a Maurice. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that's, that's not me. I'm just spreading someone else's quote, but I think it's so poignant. Racism in America is so prevalent. A systemic racism is so part of the nature of America that people feel like when you're protesting racism, you're protesting America. It's so woven into the fabric of uh, what this country has been about that it's like people feel, um, uh, a lot of people feel, I, I think a lot of people feel like, wow, uh, they don't understand it. They don't get it. Uh, my thoughts have been that uh, this country, America, has obviously been founded on things that God is not about. And the use of slave labor is a corruption of the gospel, you know, and the use of the Bible to defend that is profanity. It's profane for uh, people to use God's name for uh, intentions that he never intended it to be used for, you know, and this is one of my major qualms uh, with the uh, organized church because um, Christ has called us to be a beacon, uh, a declarer of freedom, the favorable year of the Lord to proclaim liberty to the captives, you know, uh, freedom for the oppressed. And I feel like the church has colluded so much with the culture that it has become a cartoon or a puppet. Judah Smith would say it has become a caricature of itself, of what it ought to be, of what it ought to be doing. And so I'm doing my part as the church, you know. But I think all of the things that we're seeing right now are the result of decades and decades, hundreds of years of systematic oppression of Black people. Martin Luther King would say uh, that it's cruel to tell a man to pull himself up by his own bootstraps if he doesn't have any boots and he doesn't have any laces, any straps in them. It's cruel to say that. And I agree with him because in this country, uh, black men and women were freed from slavery, uh, but they weren't freed to 
uh, wealth and free to the same opportunity as white people in this country. If you go back and you think about the Homestead Act, where the government was basically giving land grants to white citizens because they wanted to uh, improve the quality of life for poor white people. And this is during, uh, after slavery is uh, abolished, you know, but mm -hmm. black people weren't, were not getting the same land grants, millions and millions mm -hmm. of acres, free land to uh, white citizens. And, and I think the result of that is real wealth. You know, we think about the uh, wealth gap in America over $100,000, close to $200,000 between white families and black families. And I think about the Homestead Act and how that actually turned into real wealth. And then I also think about the Contra scandal where the government, the CIA was implanting cocaine and uh, crack cocaine into black communities to destroy black families. This was our mm. government doing this. Mm. And then our government decided to have a war on drugs so we import drugs into the black communities and then we have a war on drugs. <laughs> I'm like, man, this is crazy. And so to me, uh, all of the injustices that are happening today, um, it is, uh, it's not something new that's happened. The only thing new about it is that it's being video. And so people can't deny it yeah. anymore. My granddad was killed by law enforcement. My great granddad was killed by law enforcement. No one knows the details because the police can cover it up if they want to. And, and I'm not against all police. Like I said, I have police in law enforcement, but, um, and those, and, and my family that's in law enforcement are very upstanding officers. You know what I mean? But there are some officers that tarnish the badge they tarnish their oath to protect and serve and then try to cover it up with corruption that type of thing the same thing we're seeing in our own state in brunswick georgia where the da and the officers all colluded and, and covered it up you know and only after people saw the video and could make and could see it it'd be visualized mm. Yeah. Make a decision. Now it's like, oh my gosh, you know. But I think about all of the people that weren't didn't have the technology for it to be videos. So my my um I feel heartbroken that this is still happening. Uh because it's it's a real sign that uh we haven't made the type of progress that I think we have made. You know what I mean? Um and I think re what we need is real reform. We need real reform in terms of policing. Um, we need real um, reform in terms of economic empowerment. Uh, I did a, I'm, I tried to do a fast. I tried to use my dollar and make it circulate more in the black community. You know, in a, in a, city of Atlanta where there are millions and millions of black people and a, a black mayor, black police chief, there is no black owned grocery store. Mm. Every, on every corner, wherever I turn, my dollar is leaving my community. And you know what, that, the fact that that's happening also helps with the equal, uh, with the wealth gap, you know, and, and the wealth gap affects how justice comes about, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, the more power that you have, the more wealth that you have, the more that you can affect change, I think, in terms of uh, political change and being able to uh, lobby and really have representatives that represent your own interests, you know. I love, I love shopping at Sprouts. I think they have great produce. I think they have great food, you know? Uh, but Sprouts isn't black owned. And, and to me, all of the major uh, grocery stores that I patronize, none of them are black owned. So I think black people, we as people have to get, gain more ownership. And a lot of the reason why, why there's been so much barriers to ownership has been the systemic racism in terms of 
getting approved for loans or getting approved for these uh, different types of things. You know, I am, I am brokenhearted, but I'm also hopeful that we can change, that we can be the solution to this problem, that we can be the change that we want to see in the world, you know, but I'm not naive or trying to believe that ignorance is bliss. But I do think we have a huge issue. We have a huge problem that is on so many different levels, you know. So that's kind of like my view in a nutshell of what's been happening over the past few weeks. Um, yeah. Talk me through um, a little bit of your... Um, it, you know, it was crazy. Actually, I'll pause there because I think it was one of the most unique things when I remember when, you know, it was a week and a half ago or a week ago when there was all the rioting and just looting and just tons of stuff going on. And um, I remember like feeling angry, um, but then on one side, I'm like, man, this is 400 years of oppression. Like people are rightfully angry. That doesn't mean that they should go and destroy the city. Sure. Um, but it, it was just sort of like, okay, if I've heard this going around, like, you know, if, if somebody killed my child, if that was my child and they weren't held accountable, I'd do everything I can create the biggest ruckus that I could to be yeah. seen. So I, and on, on some realms, I completely understand it. Um, but you know, the, the unique part of beautiful part about Atlanta was, is that the next morning, like it seemed like people were coming and cleaning up the city and like by noon, the next day it was outside of just, you know, businesses being boarded up or something. You could really not tell that, you know, that there were riots and looting and trash everywhere because people came and cleaned it up. Yeah. And it was, it was just a beautiful scene where I was just like, man, Atlanta is a resilient city. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's definitely one of those where people will take care of their own. And, yeah. and so I think it's been, it's been a un unique journey just to sort of like, like I said, I've, at that time I was doing a lot of watching and a lot of being angry, man. I don't have yeah. a whole lot of experiences of um, with, racism um you know uh but it's one of those things that um, i imagine i remember when i was a college pastor at one point i remember walking next to a young man um and i think 17 or 18 years old and this was in pennsylvania and there are these high school kids um on their big jacked up truck and we were walking from like a mcdonald's to walmart through the parking lot and uh they had all this they had rebel flags, um, you know, spray paint on the side saying F the N word. And like, I mean, it was just out, out overtly racist and I'm walking through and we're walking. Uh, he's half black, half white, but definitely looks black. And um, they're just yelling at all these profanities. And I'm like, I'm a grown man at this point. And, you know, like 28, 29 years old. And I remember, I'm like, dude, stay right here. I'm gonna go handle these boys. Um, and he literally had to like, bro, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I remember like, there are a few things in, in my life that will, I'm pretty calm, cool and collective dude. Um, but then yeah. there are very few things that set me from zero to 100 and racism is one of those. And if, if they weren't minority, uh, if they weren't, uh, uh, young kids in, um, and under the age of 18, there would have, that would have definitely done something. Um, <laughs> but because they were under the age of 18, uh, they were minors. And, and so I, I didn't, I would gone straight to jail regardless. And, uh, but it was one of those things where it's just like, he's, he sees it, you know, every day and people. And, and so <clears throat> it, I understand it um, yeah. on so many levels. Um, talk to me a little about like your thoughts on, the black lives matter um what that means to you i know there's like there's a lot of discussion <clears throat> even like there's black lives matter organization which um i think it might be slightly different than the black lives movement um as far as you know like the hashtag and what that means i think there's sure there's a lot of things that the organization might stand for that as we as christians might sort of have to wrestle through um, sure. But to you, what does this Black Lives Matter mean? 
Um, yeah. And maybe even what you were talking, you were about to get into as far as, um, you know, police reform and, and defunding, sure. even this term of defunding the police. What sure. are your thoughts on those two things? Sure. And I'll say one quick thing about protesting and rioting and that type of thing. Um, I believe like what Martin Luther King said that riots are the language of the unheard. And I think what is so striking is, uh, you know, you take a, take a case like George Floyd, where he was arrested, uh, sentenced, convicted, you know, all of that right there on the sidewalk. No due process, no constitutional rights, you know, no trial. Yeah, he had constitutional rights, you know, that that officer took from him. The officer looted George Floyd of his constitutional rights, you know? And I think, you know, the looting and the rioting, the, the protesting, while, while I am, I don't advocate looting, rioting, those types of things, I do advocate peaceful protest. I understand it, you know, it's the language of the unheard. And uh, honestly, what I think what's, what is really, really concerning to me is uh, the profanity and what these cops are doing. Like, not only does it uh, hurt a family, like George Floyd's family is hurting right now. They didn't get justice or, or they, they haven't gotten justice. Well, they suffered injustice and just the suffering of that is hurting. Then to pile on the injustice of those officers when they weren't being held accountable or weren't going to be held accountable, that's another injustice. Uh, but to me, uh, for those officers, when you do those types of things, you tarnish the badge and you destroy public trust. Officers are public servants and order, a peaceful order society is the result of public trust. When people trust, when the public trusts that the officers will do the right thing, when the public trusts that the government will do the right thing, you know? And so like the destruction of public trust, it, like looting and rioting and those things are just symptoms of the destruction of public trust, you know? Yeah. And it's their job to protect and serve that, you know? And I saw an officer on social media saying, what those guys did was wrong, it tarnished the badge. They didn't, uh, now they make it harder for good officers like us to restore the public trust in the community. And it's so mm -hmm. true, man. It's just so like so many variables and so complex, but going along to the Black Lives Matter, I think Black Lives Matter is both an organization and a paradigm. And I love the paradigm. I'm not that versed with the organization. Um, and honestly, I haven't researched the organization that much. Um, but I am all for the paradigm. I'm all for uh, the notion that Black Lives Matter, you know. And I think what it does is it incites uh, not only goodwill within Black people, but it also um, agitates racism in white people, you know? And so I think it's a great thing. I think, uh, I think we should continue to say it. I think we should continue to believe it. I think it should inform how we police. It should inform how we set up economic policy. It should inform how our cities are built. It should inform the ownership of our citizens. It should inform a lot of things, you know? Um, if, if Black Lives Matter, then there needs to be more uh, universities be, being built in California than prisons, mm -hmm. you know? Black Lives Matter, there needs to be all of the black men that were convicted for drug possession of marijuana needs to be freed, especially in places where the government is profiting off of marijuana through taxes, Yeah, you know? 
Black Lives Matter goes much deeper than just the phrase, but I agree with it. I think it's great. And um, I see a lot of people on the internet that say all lives matter. And, and Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that all lives don't matter. Yeah. Because people aren't saying only Black Lives Matter. What they're doing is highlighting. Uh, it's like if you had a disease or like I give to St. Jude for children cancer research, for children cancer research. I'm not saying that <laughs> like just because uh, childhood cancer needs funding doesn't mean that all the other ones don't need funding. Mm -hmm. I'm just highlighting childhood cancer. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But people wouldn't say, man, <clears throat> all, all cancers matter. It's just insensitive. It's like, mm -hmm. what, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. no one's saying that all don't matter. What people are saying is this one is a problem and we're trying to find a solution to fix this. Um, so that's how I think there, I think police reform, I think we need to seriously look at how um, our police are trained and the different policies that uh, affect police. And I think one way to do it is to go through more rigorous training um, on becoming a police officer. And then also um, having review boards that are non-biased outside review boards of police officers, law enforcement in general. So we can be free of any type of corruption that might try and come in. Yeah, I was actually, I was on a call yesterday and I didn't, wasn't aware of this, but it was in a, um, friend of mine, he's in the, uh, I'm in the army reserves and, uh, he is, um, he's retired major, but he, um, is a practicing attorney. And he was telling me that in Camden, New Jersey, their, their crime has dropped 50%. Um, and, but what they did with some police reform is they started a new police department, completely new. And then they made it really hard and they sort of blew up the old one essentially and um made it a little tougher um to get into the police academy or to, to, to the police department and um you know I've, I've sort of echoed the same thoughts i don't know have you seen the um uh, propaganda's um explanation of uh, defunding police no i haven't seen it you know who propaganda is right yep. the artist yeah mm -hmm. so he he talked he's you should go look uh check it out but he has like this uh, I shared this yesterday also, but it's like a big bowl of Cheerios. He's got like six other bowls around it. And it's sort of saying, uh, why should all the Cheerios and all the money um, of all these other issues, um, why not go to the root of these issues rather than uh, the reaction of police just, you know, so you have homelessness, you know, let's put some money towards homelessness um, so that police aren't responding. Okay. Drugs and addiction, whatnot. Let's put some money into more rehabs um, so that the police aren't necessarily having to respond and let's put some money into um, all these different little cups yeah. and it's sort of it, so there might be some radicals that may be like hey let's do away with cops completely um, I, I, I don't I don't think there's a you know having no law is is the is the answer um, but to me it is an idea that there needs to be reform um, there needs to be a lot of things that you're talking about there needs to be accountability um, but it is a huge, as, as you said, it's hard to paint one big broad paint stroke and say that everybody's wrong. Um, but I think there is a personnel issue and that's what it is, is you have some bad apples and you have some good apples. And, um, and so I think, you know, some radical reforms need to take place. And at least that's what I'm picking up from conversations and what I've thought along the way. I always use this, use this example. Um, I know you like politics, um, uh, but there's this. Uh, you know, we can look at Congress and we can say, man, Congress, D.C. is a pretty corrupt place and there's a lot of really bad politicians. You know, let's just blow it up and start over. Right. That doesn't mean that the institution of Congress itself is bad. Uh, the way that our government is a democracy and is when when working well, it's supposed to hold each other accountable. You know, the executive branch <clears throat> holds a legislative branch accountable and vice versa with them. Judicial branch comes in, supposed to uphold the laws. It's a beautiful system, the way that it's created. Sure. But what's made it corrupt is, um, is the personnel. People. And I think, it, I think sure. it's the same thing with, with the police department is it's the people 
Um, you know, so you're going to have bad apples. You cannot not have bad apples, but it's just, okay, now that we've identified, what are we going to do? And I think it's, it's one of those things where you, every person has said that the same thing that I've talked to. Um, you know, it's, it's this idea that um, this has always existed. Um, now everybody has cameras. Now as everybody's a, being able to see um, not just the small snippets or not just the media biased reported of something happening. Right. We're actually able to see this raw content from, you know, from moment something happening to the moment something's finished. And they're just like, hell, enough is enough. Like something needs to be done, man. And so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I get it. <clears throat> Let me ask you this, 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 this last question. Um, sure. Um, I think you, you begin to talk about it a little bit earlier, but um how can your white brothers and, and sisters and your white counterparts, um, how can we help? Um, I, sure. mean, I mean, there's the obvious like protesting, um, but what are some, some ways that, um, I, I mean, it sounds like even your heart is beating where my heart is currently at. I, I feel like for the longest time I've been um aware of these things but because i don't face it on a day-to-day basis it's not like it's on the forefront when it's presented in front of me then it's like i'm on the offense and mm-hmm. saying i'm going to do something about it um but i i don't think i stay on the offense i don't think that i'll go outright and try to uh, support black business just because i don't think that i'm doing things on the offense right i haven't exactly. done things on, on the offense yeah um, and so i want to know what we can do on the offense there's the you know the exactly. low-hanging fruit like protesting and signing yeah. petitions. but exactly. what are some things that i can tangibly do and even more so along those lines one of my biggest questions has been um in your opinion what do you think is um what do you think is it going to take for the black communities to, to finally say, okay, we're getting some traction. Like what tangible, in your opinion, metrics are there to be able to say, I, we're making um, some ground up on police reform or racial equality on whatever. What do you think are some tangible steps? Because that was my, like when all the riots were happening, uh, like really, really bad. I'm like, what is it going to take for them to stop? You know? Sure. What is it going to, sure. what, what is, I know the end goal is there, right? Racial equality. But like, what is that first step for people to be like, okay, well, yeah, what's it going to take for, I guess, peace to begin to, and change to begin to happen? And what tangibly, in your opinion, is that change? Yeah, I think um, just specifically to that question, and then I'll answer the previous ones, uh, justice. I think the reason why the looting, the rioting, the protests, all of, if, if, the, if the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota had arrested those four guys the moment that happened and said, hey, this is, we are not going to stand for this in our city. We are going to denounce this. We're not going to hide behind our bureaucracy. We're going to stand for justice. I think that the more uh, we see that justice is not delayed uh, for Black Americans in this country, I think that will be a sign, a metric, that uh, we are improving. You know, I was telling my wife, if they would have just locked those, arrested those guys for murder, none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have had any looting, no rioting, no protests. We wouldn't have had any of that. The reason why we had that was because there's a lack of justice. And I think the metric is uh, justice uh, when police are brutally killing unarmed citizens, that they are swiftly and, and, you know, publicly arrested and held accountable for their actions. Going, going uh, to your previous question, uh, what can our my white brothers and sisters do to help in this. I wrote an le- open letter on my Instagram to Louis Giglio, uh, the leader of Passion Conferences. And I spoke about the silence of the white evangelical in America on issues of black racial injustice in America. I think being vocal about it is like what you said, low hanging fruit but I think it's much needed. I think it's needed so much because um, it's like black people did not create racism in this country. 
you know, black people didn't create slavery in this country, but black people are the oppressed behind those things. So it's like something, it, it, there has to be a tipping point of more white people actually speaking up about it, actually lobbying for it. It, it has to become something where it's not just uh, black people lobbying for this or, or pushing for this. And I think, you know, the least is signing protests, uh, mean signing petitions and protesting. That's the least we could do to ra raise our voice. Then next, I think we have to, uh, we have to get a real sense of our gospel. And by that, I mean, we have to understand that there is no distance between us and Jesus. Mm. We are one. He said, we're one. If you abide in me and I abide in you, we are one. And even when Jesus arrested Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? And so many people, I see so many people on the internet saying, Jesus is the only answer to this problem. And I think to myself, there is no distance between you and Jesus. That's why you called the body of Christ. When you move, he moves. So if we're waiting on Jesus to fix this racism problem in our government, we'll be waiting till the kingdom comes. We are the Jesus, <laughs> you know what I mean? We yeah. are the solution that we've been waiting for. It's so crazy to me. Some I see so many comments like, and Jesus is the only answer to this problem. And I'm like, have you ever voted for Jesus on a ballot? <laughs> if you're looking for Jesus on the ballot, it's like, I feel like, and this is just my own personal perspective. I feel like so many people are like, man, Jesus is the only answer. I feel like Jesus is like, you're the only answer. Yeah. It's like, we're waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on us to move. You know what I mean? That type of thing. But I think, I think what our what white brothers and sisters can do is, I think we have to really realize where we are. Really think on it. And like what you said, be on the offensive. I have spent for... 15, 20 years, I have spent my money indiscriminately. I've just bought from, from wherever I thought was quality, wherever I thought was great, wherever I thought I was getting a great deal. And I haven't circulated my money within the black community. However, if I were white, I could circulate the dollar in my community infinitely. It wouldn't ever have to leave my community, you know? Yeah. And so like, there are ways for, I think, our white brothers and sisters to start supporting uh, Black-owned businesses, to start lobbying for change. If you see that your district attorney, your prosecutor uh, in your county, in your local governments are corrupt, vote them out of there. Yeah. You know, I, what I love about democracy is that it is power to the people. We're not under a tyrant. We're not under a dictatorship. We vote in our we vote in our officials, and we can vote them out. We have to under start to understand that there's two votes that we have. It's not just our ballot; it's also our dollar. Mm. And so, for all of the companies that are being silent and being complicit with the administration and and with uh, this idea that there is nothing wrong with our country. There's nothing wrong with racist. There's nothing wrong with racism in America. We have to start to hold these companies accountable in a very tangible way, you know, and I don't, I have, would even say that the dollar can, can, can control the ballot. Unfortunately, yes. no, you know, that's if, true. if we were to really hold our dollar and uh, I've not been a fan of like boycotting stuff, but there is power in the dollar and yeah. you begin to, withhold your dollar that's going to affect somebody i would say one of the greatest examples is in alabama where the people protested riding the bus for over a year 381 days they said if we can't sit wherever we want to sit on the bus we're not going to patronize we'll walk yeah you know that the whole bus system imploded 
the whole <laughs> the whole structure of it imploded and they had to change their policies so you're right I, I feel like the dollar is very strong so i think i think one of the main things is i think now it's very clear to everyone the problem that we have and i think one of the main things that white brothers and sisters can do is to continue to be very vocal about their stance against racism and also be very offensive with the use of excuse me the dollar and economics to strengthen and empower the black community and i think that's one of the major ways that we can see um change in america we can see change in racism i think about um you know and we have to understand that this is going to come with some consequences um I think biblically when Acts, I mean, when the Apostle Paul casted out the evil spirit out of the young woman that uh, some of the city members were profiting off of, they had him and Silas jailed mm -hmm. because they were profiting off of an evil spirit that was at work in someone and it affected their bottom line. That's the same thing that we see with racism same thing that we see with human trafficking that type of thing we have to know that it's going to come with consequences that type of thing you know they they didn't affect their bottom line and and they got sent to jail and paul said we're citizens here you're not just going to leave you're not just going to let us go out of jail quietly come down here and take us out yourselves <laughs> you know, and so Paul, the Apostle Paul was an activist. We need to follow his lead in some ways, you know. Um, but yeah, those those are my thoughts. I think being vocal, uh, protesting, supporting, uh, using economy to change the tide. I think those are ways that uh, white brothers and sisters can help to end systemic racism <clears throat> well thank you dude man you've um uh as anticipated it's been really good dialogue and conversation for sure um you are um far wise beyond your age um and thanks it's man always good to um and extremely articulate and being able to under uh i i think that's <clears throat> I think every time you and I catch up, it's always like one of those things where um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded um, of just different perspectives um, and different things. And I think you, you, your, your knowledge, not only of, of where you come from, of Bible, of uh, current events, um, of history, um, but how they all intersect and intertwine and, um, it's uh it's it's unique to get other people's perspective and um I, I was encouraged and challenged i learned a lot from listening um from what you had to say so thank you for for hopping on this call anything you want to say in the very end to anybody out there uh man i i think some people might say well what about black on black crime mm. and this will be the last thing that i say uh, i would say there's a deeper issue at work than just black on black crime if you put any race of people into the same scenario, if you do an experiment, and, and scientists have researched this, if you do an experiment and you put any race of people into the variables that happen where Black-on-Black -black crime happens the most, you will find that Black-on-Black -black crime is not the result of uh, just uh, bad character within a certain community. Black on black crime is the result of poverty. And where any people are impoverished, you see this activity. And I've seen a lot of people say, well, you know, so many people get up in arms about police brutality, but they don't say anything about black on black crime. And I think black on black crime or any crime that's race on race in that type of way or culture ethnos on ethnos is the result of poverty 
And if you put any race in that, in that test tube, you're going to have the same results. And I think one thing that we can do as a country is take a hard look at poverty and see what we should be doing in terms to raise, in terms to raise the floor of what it means to be impoverished in this country. Mm. You know, if we can figure out a way to raise the floor in such a way that 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 type of crime goes away, I think it will be advantageous uh, for us as a society. Uh, and my last thoughts, man, are that uh, the kingdom of God is within. And it's all language, it's all nations, it's all colors. Um, and so I feel that we should take that to heart, you know, um, and really have a culture of celebration and celebrate the differences in each other and, and celebrate the uh, similarities that we have as the human race, you know. Um, those, those are my thoughts. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for those thoughts. Uh, I love you, man. Man, love you too. Thanks for having me on.